You're listening to Coleman Power on the Organic Fitness Podcast. All right, welcome to the latest episode of the Coleman Power Organic Fitness Podcast. I have my latest guest here in front of me, the most certainly lovely, the expert on all things foraging. We have Alwyn, based in the likes of Gallup, County Galway. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Coleman. It's a great introduction. Best one I've ever had. I might keep that one. Use it again. Sometime. You can save it. It's yours. Put it in a most certainly an envelope and lock it down. Um, I brought you on, I suppose, to let the listeners know a little bit more about this uh, unique topic that you mostly do on a regular basis. I suppose yes. we let the listeners know a little bit about you and uh, yeah, we can start off from there, what you do and currently where you're based. Sure. So um, I'm currently, I'm from County Kilkenny, but I'm based in County Galway out near Lockray. And people often ask me, oh, how did you get into doing this? How do you get into like teaching foraging? And it's really been one of those sort of very incremental journeys. Like I never sort of dreamt of being a foraging teacher when I was a child, you know, um, but I've worked in health food stores a lot. So I've got a lot of um, herbal medicine knowledge through through that line of work. And also a lot of my friends are herbalists and like we're always talking herbs and um, the different ways we can use them. And then. Uh, I did a horticulture course a number of years ago, an organic one up in the, the organic centre in Ross Inver in Leitrim. Um, and just all of those sort of elements have been sort of funneling me into um, a sort of wildy, outdoorsy focus uh, on food and health. Because I'm a massive foodie. I love all things foodie. And like, I feel it's very, very important that we eat more locally and that we eat really well and that we empower ourselves to take care of our well-being through our diet that's hugely important to me and it's central to my work um and now i've lost my train of thought i was gonna say something else there that was gonna be brilliant i forgot no i'll tell you what's gonna be brilliant i because I, I was just going to go okay i want to point you in this direction in particular right you know a yeah. lot of uh, listeners to this podcast will be looking for more i suppose health and i want you to re- maybe recommend in your own words maybe herbs for balancing hormones and this was typically maybe women's health with the majority of listeners of this podcast mm-hmm. being um, women based okay so this is an area that i find really interesting not not an area but the way we learn about herbs and the way we learn about plants and what they're used for so we have this the, the way we one way of thinking about them I find it almost a little bit reductionist where we go with this like list based way of learning where we go well this herb is good for this 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 and this and this one is good for these other things um but I'm tending now more towards coming at things from a an even sort of broader more holistic approach where it's not just that the herbs are good for this and they're good for that it's like do they agree with this person are they in your locality are they speaking to you in some way are they calling out to you in some way and the same way, I don't really think about plants so much anymore in terms of what nutrients they contain, like, well, this is really high in vitamin C and this is really good for iron. Um, it's more a, a broader look again. So like uh, I have a good friend who's a forager, Ed, Edward Blaine is his name. He's of Tally Foods. And I was out foraging with him a few months ago and he said. Um, a lot of the medicine isn't isn't the way we think of it. It's not in like this plant is good for this, like dock root is good for your liver, which it is, but or nettles are good for your adrenals. But half of the medicine, at least, is in the relationship to the plant. It's in the being outdoors, 
learning where they are, going and picking it, spending time on the beach, picking your seaweeds, getting out in the elements, being outdoors. And that aspect of it is as important as the phytonutrients and the, the compounds that the plants contain. And I'd agree with that because you come across people who use the same plant for like opposite problems, you know, contradictory types of symptoms and the same plant will work for both of them. So that's that's part of my opinion is like and I still teach like that. I still teach like this plant is good for this, this and this. But I try to go try to guide people. But it's actually a much, much, much bigger picture than that as well. So don't get too hung up on is this plant the right one for this ailment you need to match them to the constitution of the person as well um, and in saying all this just so it's clear I'm not actually a herbalist I don't I don't take clients and I don't have uh, a four-year degree behind me or anything um, I do have I consider myself a bit more of like a hedgerow herbalist you know um, but yes that doesn't answer your question at all not even one bit <laughs> No, but it's more so just a conversation about it. And that is a very valid point. It's yeah. more, the benefits of most certainly going and foraging or picking different types of herds and most certainly plants, <clears throat> maybe even mushrooms we might touch on later coming into season uh, mm -hmm. very shortly, probably when this podcast comes out, is things that I want to come on to later on. But yeah, the benefits of naturally touching your hands and or your feet off the likes of either the sand or the soil or the yeah. leaves at different locations that you currently end up at. And again, the benefits of fresh air, the benefits of sunlight, all things that are underrated that literally okay. you couldn't sell in a supplement. Why? Because supplements most certainly have a completely different effect on the body than something natural, such as the sun and or the ground. Yes. 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 Yes, yes. I knew it. Yes. I, just, <laughs> I, knew. I told you before this podcast started, I said, this is going to be an absolute cracker. As if you're listening here, you can rewind because there's going to be golden nuggets throughout. Thanks, Coleman. <laughs> I hope so. So, yeah, that's um, and sometimes when I'm trying to learn more about herbs and plants as well, and I'm thinking like that, I'm like, OK, I'm going to do a bit of study on like the female reproductive system or PMS and stuff. And it almost just goes in one ear and out the other one because it's it, I can't I can't always grasp it. Um, it gets it can get anyway or can start to feel too reductionist or too sciencey for me, even though there's definitely a place for that in the world. Don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not sort of slating it in any way, but um yeah, I think our relationship to the plants that we're using is as important as the plants that we're using and the fact that we're using plants. That makes sense. Yeah, it, it does to me. Right? Have you ever come across, I suppose, uh, a statement such as whether it's an animal and or it's a plant, if the plant is under a certain amount of stress that has a, a positive or a negative effect, depending on, I suppose, the treatment of that plant or animal to the person that consumes it? Mm -hmm. yeah I've come across this uh, in relation to animals and also to plants so in the animal context um, you know I would know some people who would eat roadkill or who have eaten roadkill and I know some people who would specifically choose not to eat roadkill not because oh it's a bit might be a bit gross but because they feel that that animal has died in a moment of intense fear or trauma and then that transfers that energy transfers into the into the meat of the animal and then when you're ingesting it you're getting that but sure surely you could say the same for an animal in an abattoir i'd imagine that there's an element of fear and trauma there too um and then in terms of plants yes there's this um and i am certainly not an expert on this so anything i'm about to say right now is not like 
necessarily scientifically bang on the money, but um, the idea of secondary compounds in plants, which are the things like the bio bioflavonoids and the antioxidants and things that are tend to be medicinal for us as well. Um, in some plants, the more, um, maybe not necessarily the more, there's probably an upper limit, but if the plant has to work harder to thrive in its environment, it will develop more of those secondary compounds and therefore be a stronger medicine for humans. So, for example, the example that I have in my mind that I definitely read in a book, and I can't remember which book, uh, was rosemary. And they had a rosemary plant that was grown in like really well fertilized soil and like kind of mollycoddled, you know, fed lots of nutrition and really looked after. And then a rosemary that was growing in like a rocky area and a much sort of tougher terrain. And the, the second rosemary plant was much higher in all of the, the sort of beneficial compounds and things that, that we use for medicine. So, yes, like your terroir, I'm definitely saying that wrong, but <laughs> that's a word normally used in relation to wine, which is like the, the, the flavor of the earth that it's grown in affects the flavor of the grapes and the wine. And you could certainly have the same. You could say the same for all for all plants that the, the, the bedrock and the environment that they're growing out of affects their quality and affects their flavors and affects their constituents, their makeup. And then, yes, of course, we ingest that or animals ingest it and we ingest the animals and that affects us. Like. And we gain the advantage of that. Yeah, to even just break that down to its simplest form, like antioxidants are, I suppose, created from, I suppose, plants that are under stress. So if anything, take the example of why, let's say, homegrown or organic produce is that little bit better for you and a little bit tastier. Mm -hmm. It's because antioxidants are produced, let's say, the tomato plant. That literally say a green fly starts to most certainly take nibbles out or suck the sap out of a tomato plant's leaves yeah. and it ends up happening then the advantages of that are higher antioxidants higher which are linked with flavor in those tomatoes so that's just one example of that and then antioxidants for the plant is when it's under stress we gain the advantage of those antioxidants for our body but then reduce the stress we have less stress we have more energy we get more benefits from that yeah yeah and obviously there's like an upper limit to that like if your plant is super duper stressed out covered in aphids then it's no good it's not going to survive but yeah and it's the same for people you know we have a certain amount of stress is good for us and uh, um like i don't know if you've ever come across the anti-fragility um theory it's like you have a glass a glass is always going to be fragile it can drop and break really easily you have a stone that's that's probably never going to be fragile because it's super solid and strong and then you have something like humans or animals where we can become stronger so the idea that overdoing it well overdoing it is a different thing but the idea that sort of working ourselves hard is necessarily bad for us isn't an absolute truth because if we work ourselves hard we get stronger we get more resilient again that's obviously the idea like you can overdo it and you can break your knee or your ankle or stress your adrenals out so much that you'll go into burnout but appropriate stress levels on our bodies and on our joints and on our bones make us stronger in certain areas that's it you strengthen yeah. a muscle yeah. if you do enough squats the idea is most people are actually underperforming under suppose putting themselves under adequate amount of stress in the right areas so that they yeah. can be their best yeah um i'd love for you to tell me a little bit more i suppose about things that you would consume that you most certainly would forage or that yes. you would recommend to other people so suppose to uh, put them on the right track mm -hmm. okay 
Um, I always think that we're we're super lucky in Ireland because we have loads and loads of edible plants and lots of edible wild ones and lots of them <clears> are also medicinal. Um, so like for beginners, I always say start with nettles. Start with nettles because you cannot misidentify them. If it doesn't sting, it's not a nettle, don't eat it. Um, and they're super, super nutritious. They're really broad ranging. Their their medicinal actions in the body cover, you know, they cover uh, blood cleansing, they're liver supportive, they're adrenal supportive, particularly kidney supportive, uh, great for all the structural tissues in our body, good for our hair, skin, nails, good for energy and fatigue problems. And like they can help with hormonal health, they can help with mood health. You know, they're really, really versatile. And they're very safe to use as a food. So that means you can use them in quite high quantities without worrying about overdoing it. Whereas there's some other plants um, that you would use only more in a medicinal capacity. So smaller doses. Um, So nettles, great one to start off with. Really, really versatile and so good for us. Um, Obviously in saying that, the same way some of us have sensitivities to certain foods, it's not a guarantee that just because something like nettle is absolutely brilliant and a miracle plant, as far as I'm concerned, that it's necessarily going to agree with you specifically as you, the individual. So I would always suggest people start slowly and try out little bits of things before they go, you know, headlong into something in case actually it doesn't agree with you for some reason. Um, so nettles are great. I use them a lot. I use them as teas. I dry them to preserve them. I put them into soups, stews, casseroles. I powder them sometimes and mix them into like little energy ball type things that I'm making. Um, I put the seeds, I dry the seeds and put them in my porridge. I've got a whole load of seeds mixed up in honey at the moment. Um, so there's loads of ways you can use them really easily. You know, you just get to sort of channel your inner potion making child when you're working with food in any capacity, I think. So that's what it is for me. I'm just in my kitchen Somebody described it recently to me as kitchen, kitchen witchery. I was like, yeah, I, I could take that. I'll take that. Well, look, there's nothing wrong with witchery. The point is, like, with food is medicine. Oh, yeah. and it's magical when you start to do eat it in the right amounts for your current height, your weight, and your activity levels. And net, nettles, I would love, most certainly, more yeah. and more people to consume a little bit more. And, yeah. and <clears throat> I suppose they would be at their highest. Tell me if I'm wrong, incorrect in saying this. At certain times of the year, they would be more nutritious. Maybe spring nettles. And now I was delighted that you mentioned the likes of the, the seeds. Like a lot of people wouldn't actually ever and go towards the seeds, but they w- might see them in the health food shop and the health food shops may charge some people, um, I'm going to say, an arm and a leg, I'm allowed to say it, when it's actually outside your back door. If you went out and just there, got it and uh, it was outside in sunlight. But uh, yeah. yeah, that's, a, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And like I've worked in health food stores for years and like I've told many people they'd be in buying their packet of, nettle tea bags and I'd be like you know you can just you could probably just go to the park and pick a few of these and a lot of people and it's really especially with nettles because as I said like everybody in Ireland knows what a nettle is you can't misidentify it if it stings you it's a nettle and still people have the fear of like oh I don't know if I, I wouldn't be certain I'd be picking the right plant so that for me is like a really key point in that we need to re-establish this right relationship with the living world around us with the plants so that we we know you know we get back into relation with them we know i know what that is i know how to use it i know that it's safe or i know that that one's not safe because some of them aren't safe um and just get ourselves back into this good relationship so we're not always like trawling around a supermarket with these awful fluorescent lights being bombarded with all this crap that we can go outdoors and be like 
This is all food. Isn't that great? So nettles are a great one to start with, but it, and something I use a lot in my kitchen. And then like other plants that I use a lot in the kitchen, I use a lot of fresh wild greens. So uh, nipplewort, fat hen, um, plantain, dandelion greens, which are available for a really long season of the year. Um, what else have I got in the garden right now that I would put in? Herb Robert, that would grow, grow, go into things quite readily and easily. Um, yarrow, I'd use that a lot. Rose, rose petals, when roses are in season, I use those a lot as well. And I like to infuse things into honeys and dry them to keep them for and pickling things, pickling and and fermenting things, that's really fun as well. It's just I so love much. you. To, I suppose that a lot of people would firstly definitely know about nettles. The next yeah. thing, as you mentioned, uh, dandelions would be a really easy one for people to identify. Whereas mm. that small jaggedy uh, green leaf, followed by the distinctive yellow flower that ends up turning into some people, and as myself as a child called tick tocks. That's what we used to call them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know why we used to call them that, but then there's so yeah. many different common names. But yeah, the benefits of dandelions, you can just, just touch on a couple of different benefits of it and the no problem. Distinctive, distinctive taste of the bitter leaves. But yeah, so it's it's yeah well known as a, as a bitter tonic. And so it's it's one of those wonderful plants that gives us three crops. You can use the, the leaves um, raw or cooked. The smaller ones that are growing out of the center of the basil rosette will be the, the most tender and the least bitter because they're the youngest, youngest growth. Whereas the bigger ones on the outside of the plant, uh, they will tend to be more bitter. Um, so some people would choose to cook those a little bit, like steam them or boil them to re remove some of that bitterness a little bit. I personally think the bitterness is something that we really need and it's really important. So I don't tend to, to if I'm cooking my dandelion leaves, I cook them very lightly. You know, I just chop them up and put them into a dish at the very end. So they just get wilted. Um, and then the root, you can harvest the root when the plant has gone into its dormant stage. So you're talking about sort of autumn mid to late autumn on to springtime now i've known of people who harvest them throughout the year as well but you get a very woody uh root if you're harvesting when the leaves and the flowers are up so dormant period is better to harvest roots and the roots have a particular affinity for the liver the leaves have a particular affinity for the kidneys but are also beneficial for the liver and then you can also eat the flowers um in springtime so yeah and the flowers have a um, they're quite good for eye health. They have a lot of antioxidants that are useful for preventing uh, things like macular degeneration. So again, I put dandelions in the same kind of category as nettles, like really quite common, very abundant. Most people can recognize a dandelion, at least from their flower, although it is important to be aware that, or be aware that there are quite a few other plants with flowers very similar to dandelions. And to the untrained eye, people would see a yellow flower and go, that's a dandelion. So you want to check that your your dandelion flower, if that's what you think it is, is on a, a single stem that when you break it, it's like a straw. It's completely hollow and it'll exude a little bit of milky latex um, and or that it has, as you say, those kind of jaggedy leaves at the bottom. Um, so, yeah, very nutritious plant, really nourishing, lots of minerals, very supportive of the, the detoxification processes in the body. So and like nettles, you can eat quite a quantity of it you know you can eat a, a big bowl of dandelion salad if you want and nothing terrible is going to happen to you you know like spinach except better and free if it's in your back outside in your backyard exactly you just want to make sure you're picking from somewhere that hasn't been sprayed or peed on by lots of dogs <laughs> yeah but i often say this to some people mention that oh come on imagine something something peed on that and i'd say yeah. god imagine the ones that you buy for 49 cents from little Aralis, what has been sprayed on that yes. pee. 
that can be washed off a hell of a lot easier and definitely would cause less problems to you and your gut health if you did consume a bit of pee. Absolutely. Absolutely. And on that kind of um, note, you know, a lot of people would ask me like, oh, do you want, like, should we be washing everything? You know, people who come on my courses, now, should we wash these or not? And for me, that's a very personal thing for people. Some people wash everything and I'm cool. If you want to wash it, that's grand. If you know you're picking from a clean area, I wouldn't bother washing most of the things, to be honest, especially because we get an awful lot of rain in Ireland. They're washed, they're rain washed all the time anyway. But also there are tons of little tiny beneficial things that live on the surface of, of plants and fruits and leaves. It's the beneficial microorganisms. Some plants have like symbiotic relationships with, with fungi that live on them, like plantain. And that enhances or, or provides some of their medicinal um, properties for us. So, yeah, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't feel the need to wash things unless they're visibly soiled or I know they're from a slightly, an area where I'd be like, oh, maybe there have been dogs around or whatever. But from my own garden, nah, wouldn't bother. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that factor, right? There's so many different beneficial microorganisms that live most certainly on the periphery edges of any leaves or even we'll say fruit or vegetables. So, and that can give us literally more energy off the back of that. Those are natural, literally prebiotics, which are good for your gut health, that feed your beneficial microorganisms. Yeah. That's the advantage of either foraging and or growing a small bit, which I would also encourage so many other yeah. different people and why you become healthier uh, in be when you do start to consume foods like this mm -hmm. absolutely um and i suppose another thing to consider in harvesting practices is um not always what might be on this the surface of leaves that you can see but um plants that have deep tap roots like dandelion like burdock um like docks they're known as you probably know dynamic accumulators which means they can pull up all the nutrients in the subsoil and redistribute them to the topsoil when their leaves rot down but they can also pull up things that can be harmful for us like heavy metals so um depending on where you're picking so for example in ireland we don't have a heavy history a history of heavy industry um compared to england for example so if i was harvesting roots i would consider what has this land been used for historically where is it close to? Is it close to a factory? Is it close to um, some heavy agricultural activity? And could it be, could there be a risk that this plant is drawing up undesirable things that I may not want to be consuming, like heavy metals? So just something for people to bear in mind. But even at that, I tend to feel that if we're picking our food fresh from a wild space, or when I say wild space, I mean like space where wild plants grow we don't have very many genuinely wild spaces left in ireland anymore everything is very heavily manicured and tended to um or managed but if we're picking our food fresh whether that's from our garden that we've grown or from a, from wild foods already that's going to be fresher than anything you're going to get in the supermarket so that's all to me that's already better than like a fresh dandelion plant that might have taken up some unpleasant things it's probably still and this is personal opinion. I don't have any science to back this up. It's probably still better for us than a bag of spinach. As you say, the kind of like really cheap stuff that's been grown in Spain and flown across or whatever. It's probably still going to be better for us. I would agree with that. Yeah. Saying, better for us and better for the environment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In so many ways. Yeah. There's something else that passed through my head there to say, but I think it's gone. So you had a question? I was going to ask you, I suppose, more about uh, your foraging um, courses that you're currently doing. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I have a few a few things coming up. So until October, the second Saturday of the month, I have a foraging walk at a place called the Schlieve Ochty Centre, uh, which is so in between my house and Lockray. And they're sort of um, half half day things, 10 to 1. We go out for a short walk and we meet a lot of plants in the hedgerows and we talk about how to safely identify them, different ways you can use them, some traits of the different plant families and some sort of recipe ideas. And then we always have some tasters at the end. So I have one of those coming up on the, that's the wrong calendar, we're in the wrong month. The 12th of August is the next one of those. And then there's one in second Saturday in September, which is the 9th. And there's one of those on the 7th of October. And then I have a one day workshop, which is called Rewild Your Palette, uh, which is a full day workshop. And that's at my house. I live at a place called the Happy Pig in um, Kyle Brack near Loch Ray. And we just do that. We go out into my fairly wild garden. We meet the plants. We learn about them. There'll be a three course lunch that I provide with lots of, lots of different tasters of different things that you can do at wild plants. So you get a real introduction into all the different ways you can preserve them, prepare them, extend the season through the preservation processes, but also just to make uh, really weird, quirky, interesting things, as well as some pretty normal things, you know? So I like people to go away with a real sense of how easy it can be to use, incorporate the wild plants into your diet, but also like how creative you can get with them as well. So that's, that is the 10th of September. Um, and then I also do a two day foraging workshop at an event called the Weekend in the Hills, which is organized by an organization called Celt, C-E-L-T. And that's also in the Ochty Centre. So that's a full two days. We'll be out and about. You'll get to sample lots of things, um, meet lots of plants and make a few things on the same on the Rewilder Palette workshop. The afternoon, then we spend everybody makes a few things. So they'll be like you might make a herb salt or herbal vinegar or herbal honey or a pesto or something to take home with you as well. So you get some real time, hands-on picking, processing skills as well. And who would these courses generally be for? If you just suppose to expand on that point. Um, anybody who wants to come along really is the obvious answer, but no, um, we get, I get a nice mix of men and women who are interested and really a, a broad mix of people. I get people who work in the sort of tech industry who just love being outside. <laughs> Uh, sometimes you get a couple of farmers, you get a lot of um, a lot of women who are interested in the, the health, the, the herbalist health aspects of it. Um, so really, it's for anybody who wants to come along. I've had kids I take on the walks. I take kids from eight up and on the workshops. So I've had a few teenagers as well. And it's been it's all been grand. Everybody's loved it. And it's worked fine for for slightly younger ages as well, like 15, 16 years old. Um, but yeah foodies people who are really into food really interested people who love being outdoors people who are into bushcraft people who uh just want to be a bit healthier vegans meat eaters they're all welcome and they'll all get something from it um yeah and people who are into gardening as well it's a it's a really nice uh extra skill set to go with gardening because you realize you start to realize that half the things that you're weeding out of your garden are edible and medicinal and really versatile and some of them really tasty as well so uh that can be a bit of a kind of it can be a bit of a revelation for people sometimes they're like that one there's loads of that in my garden i've been pulling that out and putting compost for years and they're like but that's that's medicine like yeah she is it's great 
Yeah, and that nettles one, just the one that pops into my head as well frequently, is the point that there's an abundance of nettles, and if there's not nettles in your garden, by God, they're in your neighbour's gardening. You can go and take some from them, they'd be delighted. You steep it in water, you pour it onto your plants, it's nitrogen, it gives the plant leafy growth, and it's free, as opposed to going into your garden centre, or anywhere else for that matter, it will sell you an abundance of some sort of growth booster, they'll call it. Oh, it's necessary, need it now. And the I mean, nature provides, it's just we have to open up our eyes and get the piece of information from whoever it is that we most certainly like know or trust to yeah. point you in that right direction to gain advantage of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we have a responsibility now, like nature does give, and it is very abundant, not as abundant as it should be now. It's pretty depleted in a lot of ways, but that's part, a big part of the, the foraging relationship for me is like, it is our responsibility to mind what we have left of our nature and of our biodiversity we have to advocate for the spaces that are wild and I, I use the word wild loosely as I said earlier we clean up everything we clear land for this that and the other we mow the lawns we strim the verges you know there's a lot of things that our baseline say for for your and my age group for example is very different our baseline of what we think of as nature and wild green outdoor spaces is very different from say our grandparents baseline they would have lived in the times where there were moths and butterflies and insects and fish jumping in the rivers in a way that we just do not have anymore everything is hugely depleted so when we're working with the wild plants we want to do it in a way that is mutually beneficial we have to it's so vital nowadays that we're tending the wild in a respectful way that benefits it, encourages it to grow more, that we advocate for protection of those spaces and those plants and those other many, many creatures that also live in and on and off those plants. So that for me is a really key point. It's like, it does a bigger picture as well. It's not just, oh, is this plant good for me? Am I gonna get some health benefits from it? It's like, is this plant good for me? And how can I be good for it? Or how can I be good for this ecosystem? What's my role in that ecosystem that can be beneficial and regenerative at this stage of the things? That's, yeah, that's a massive, massive, important point. And I'm so glad that you even brought that up. And I suppose I just want to wrap up by saying thanks so much Dave, for coming on to this podcast. And where's the best place for most certainly people to either get in contact with you if they have any other questions about foraging and or to maybe get on to one of those courses in the near future, which would be yes. a brilliant, just putting it out there, present for somebody because the things that we buy right now whether it's i'm just trying to think of presents off the top of my head they're shy. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that they'll never they might use for a week or two and it's gone yeah. whether it, whether it's a book or i'm trying to think look around the room other things those now, those awful one. shower sets you know yeah. with the with you the should... loofah and the fucking body wash and the shower gel nobody needs those nobody no nobody no nobody. We need terrible connection we need like-minded people yeah. and to improve our current knowledge and health off the back of either going to one of these events that um yeah. you're running where's the best place for them to contact yourself so i am much to my own dismay on instagram and that is probably the best place to to keep um to keep track of me let's say so instagram and i have a lengthy boring name of Alwyn underscore Williams underscore foraging underscore yoga because I also teach yoga. I, I think I might need to redesign that name to be a little catchier and easier to remember, but that's what it is right now. And um, they can also sign up to my mailing list. That's probably another really direct way to do that. So if you can, I can I send you links and things to put in. You certainly thing? can. 
yeah, I'll do that then and I'll put a link straight to the, the mailing list, sign up. And that's, they're the two most direct ways to get me, for sure. I'm on Perfect. Facebook as well, but sure, nobody uses Facebook anymore. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. And um, but I ended up, you send me over the links, and most certainly those names, and we'll put them in the show notes so people can click directly from this podcast and over to uh, your social media platforms. Amazing. And I have actually there's one more lovely event that I have coming up in November. Let me just check. Yes, the first weekend in November, so the fourth and the fifth of November. Um, it's part of a Celtic Weed of the Year series that I've been running with a, a good friend of mine called Jenny O'Hare, who's an ecotherapist and uh, deep ecologist. Um, so these weekends, as the name suggests, they're based around the, the Celtic festivals in Bulk, Bialtana, Lunasa and Samhain. So they have foraging element of them, would be outdoors, picking some plants, working with some plants. But they also have this sort of um, seasonal resonance, seasonal living, deep ecology and ecotherapy flavor to them as well. So we'll be working with those kind of themes and those kind of practices to um, bring people into, into a sense, help bring people into a sense of better relationship and right relationship with, with the living world around us. So that's a retreat style weekend. It's at the Schlievochty Centre as well. And there's the option to, to sleep over and we'll hopefully maybe even have a campfire if the weather's not crap. Amazing. Right. And I always most certainly end these podcasts by saying stay tuned, stay classy and keep it organic. Well, what an episode that was. To a mind. Is it, got, is it what's the same? Is it a mind of information or a mile of information? Either are. That's exactly what she is. But yeah, um, hope you enjoyed that most certainly podcast as much as I did recording. And I love connecting with like minded people. And that's exactly what most certainly is the main advantage of me recording these podcasts on a weekly basis. And the next thing I'm going to tell you about is the Grow Your Own event on Inkildare. It's on the 3rd of September. If any of you guys are most certainly interested in growing your own, and I'll be setting you up for most certainly the coming months, such as having harvesting, having been able to harvest your own okay, fruits and vegetables, and in a most certainly organic way, okay, that is on the 3rd of Kildare, the 3rd of Kildare, the 3rd of September in Kildare, and if you're interested, most certainly send me a private message, and I'll send you on the full details of that, not a million miles away from being uh, sold out, because you only like to have a certain amount, so I can to go around to each and every person, ask them, what kind of size garden you have, what raised beds, or do you have raised beds, or do you have a python, do you have a glass house, or anything else in between, so we'll be talking all about how to most certainly close off some of the beds so that they are neutrally dense and replenished so that you can have your weed-free areas come spring, as well as being able to have things growing all the way up, up until Christmas week, as I said. All right, or than that, I'll talk to you soon. Oh, get on that good stuff. <laughs>